This is episode 164 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today's guest is Christoph Schmitz. He is an experienced medical device expert, entrepreneur, and inventor. Driven by the desire to help clinicians provide best patient care, he takes pride in creating innovative device solutions in the field of speech-language pathology. As the CEO of PatCom Medical Incorporated, his goals include giving more patients access to instrumental swallow assessments and raising the customer service for SLPs to a new level. And I hope you all enjoy this episode as we are wrapping up our 2020 year, which we all know has been quite insane, but <laughs> we will not um, have new episodes out for the next two weeks. So this will be our last one. So we will catch up with everybody in 2020. No, no, 2020 is over. We'll catch up with everybody in 2021 and I hope you all have a healthy, safe, happy holiday season. Celebrate as best as we all can while being separated. But uh, thank you everyone for listening this year, for your support. It's meant a lot. I know we've played a huge role in helping a lot of patients this year and look forward to what we do as a profession in 2021. to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, a mobile fees business owner, and founder of the MedSLP Collective. This podcast is all about delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere. Whether you're a new clinician seeking tangible tools for treatment or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut, my goal is to help ditch the old school ways of the past that no longer serve you or your patients, to reinvigorate your passion for our field, to broaden your knowledge about our scope of practice, and to inspire you to practice at the top of your license. So if you're listening, I encourage you to swallow your pride, be open and willing to learn, because let's face it, your patients deserve that kind of care. With that, let's dive right in. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Good morning, my friend. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. Yes, thanks for having me. I'm very honored and happy to be here. Yes, nothing like a fire alarm right before a podcast is set <laughs> to air to just, that's how we always start these episodes with a bang. So <laughs> awesome, we're here. All right, so tell the people who you are. Uh, yes, uh, my name is Christoph Schmitz. I'm uh, originally from Germany and uh, moved to North America in 2011. So I've almost been here for a decade now. Um, I've always been in, in medical devices of my professional life. And then um, ever since 2012, I started working with uh, speech pathologists and with endoscopy and fees and video strobe and, and all of that and um, have discovered that that is really or has grown into a passion. Um, absolutely. I've worked for different companies in the space. And then uh, in 2018, was fortunate enough to um, to co-found Patcom Medical. And now really focusing um, on everything that uh, USLPs do. Yeah, awesome. You know, I, I will say, Christoph, I feel like I've known you forever, however long that is in SLP land. But what I've always admired about you and loved about you is that you've really, you, you know our language, you know what we do, and you've really just immersed yourself in learning what SLPs do. And I can't, I, I really, I get so annoyed when I, you know, I constantly have companies reaching out to me to want to get on the podcast or pitch different products and things, and they have no clue what we do. And it's like, if you're going to sell a product that we need, I would like for you to know something about what we do. So 
that's always been something that I've respected about you from day one. I could tell that you're very passionate about about your product and how it can help us as SLPs and absolutely help our patients. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. Um, probably the the biggest compliment that I get sometimes is you're such a closet SLP. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You know, it's it's funny because my husband worked in med device for a few years. That seems like a lifetime ago. You know, and they trained them on all the all the business speak and all the sales pitches. And I was like, dude, that's cool and all, but like you need to know why these people want your product. Like you need to know why the doctor wants this. Like I understand you have this beautiful salesy script here, but like I wouldn't even let you in the door. Like <laughs> So it was, he was like, oh, I really never thought of it that way. I was like, and to me, it's like, why wouldn't you want to be able to speak the language of the product that you're selling and, and really talk to people about why it's useful, why it may not be useful in certain situations? So Yeah, I absolutely agree. And uh, when it comes to speech pathologists and, and your need for equipment, in some ways, it is very specific and very different from other disciplines that might also use endoscopy and video endoscopy. Yep. I think that's what we're coming across now. I know there's other companies coming out with different sorts of endoscopes. And, you know, I, I don't have a lot of time and patience to deal with them and tell them what why they need to talk to us but or why they need to know our lingo. But, you know, I'm like, no, dude, that isn't even what we do. Like, that isn't even a procedure we perform. Like, go talk to somebody that actually does <laughs> procedure. So right, anyways, exactly. I, could, I could get annoyed about that all day. But what do you want to talk about today, Christoph? <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so I um, I like the opportunity to just talk about um, purchasing fees equipment, right? Because I would estimate that 85% of the people that contact us are in a situation where a facility has never had fees. You know, that in itself is uh, very unique already for speech pathologists. So it's a new program, it's new equipment. So this person or even this department uh, has never purchased fees equipment. So, you know, how, how to go about it. And I think at this point, most people have usually a very good list of things to ask uh, and go over all of these things. But um, I think if we touch base on a few aspects and and um, hopefully I can give it a few tips. Oftentimes, I guess on the other side, I'm not buying this equipment, I'm selling it, but um, maybe I can give it a few tips that help uh, someone who would like to purchase uh, equipment or their facility to to see like, oh yeah, this, this is what I can use to make my life easier and help with the decision making. Yeah, I, I think that's such a good point. That's something that I really wish that SLPs were better at is kind of expanding these relationships, you know, with our, with our, what am I trying to call you? I want to say salesman friends, but you're not a salesman. Industry, I don't think of you yeah. That. yeah. Yeah. Um, and only because you do know so much about this product, you know, I, I get questions constantly, like, how do I even go about writing this fees proposal or what is the cleaning procedures or, you know, what's all the, you know, FDA approval and all that stuff. And why not go right to the source? You know, and I think people are always shocked when I'm like, oh, why don't you reach out to this company or reach out to that company? They have to go through this rigorous testing to even bring their product to market. You know, and, and, and it's funny that SLPs just don't think of that. They think, oh, why, why would I, you know, just reach out and ask those questions? But I really, I want to just kind of open up that conversation today that, I think we can have such a beautiful partnership 
with our industry friends. So yes, absolutely, I I agree. And a, as you said, right, the the feedback that we get from SLBs is very very important. Of course, when we have customers and users of the equipment, that feedback comes in all the time and it's actually being used, right? It's actually then a, a conversation starts with an engineering team. You know, what can be improved? How can we uh, achieve this? Um, there's many examples of that. And, and so, yeah, it's, it is very valuable to, to have that conversation. And even uh, early on in the process, you know, you're, you're at a facility what are all the things that I have to to think of? And I think someone who who understands really what you're going through um, will be very useful to you, you know, helping with pointing in the right direction. And you've got to talk to IT and you've got to talk to infection control. And you have to talk to all these stakeholders. But it gets more difficult the larger the organization is that you're in. If you're in a in a large hospital, which is part of a large network, there's a lot of things to consider when when buying equipment, and um, I do think that uh, that someone who really understands your space can can be very helpful with that. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So where should we start? Uh, basically, the uh, or the basis that I had here was um, some tech terminology, right? So so just some basic stuff that. Um, is good to be aware of, you know, what does it mean and how important it, is it to me when specifically talking about fees equipment, right? So some things that um, uh, come to mind, what you would usually see when you're looking at technical specifications of an endoscope, you will always see a field of view, right? And And just to understand what does that mean, the field of view essentially means that if you hold your endoscope still without moving it, how much do you see from left to right? And this number will be given to you in degrees. So commonly you would say 85 degrees, 90 degrees, maybe 95. That's that's very common. You know, something just to know what it is. It's nothing that you have to be too worried about as a speech pathologist because obviously you have an angulation in the scope, you're moving it around anyways, and uh, therefore a regular field of view of 85%, 90% is fine. To give you an, uh, an idea of where the, the field of view becomes very important, for example, is there's this procedure that ENTs do endoscopic ear surgery. Now they have the challenge that they wanna do this with an endoscope, but they also need both their hands to do surgery. So they will actually position a rigid endoscope in one place and now use both their hands to do whatever, cutting and, and whatever they want to do. So because they can't hold the endoscope and they can't move it, to them, a field of view becomes very, very important. You know, these, these fancy scopes have like almost like a, a fisheye bowl, 180 degrees. So that's great. When it comes to fees, you have that angulation, you can move it around, so a standard is is fine. But you would see it in the tech specs, and that's why I think it's um, important to just understand, okay, what is field of view? Uh, another one is the angulation. So typically, you would have an up and down. Uh, so you move your toggle on the scope, you go up 130, maybe 135, maybe 150 degrees, and down the same. There are some scopes out there that can bend, like you wouldn't believe it. Uh, you know, they, they bend 180 or, uh, degrees or more, and for certain disciplines, very interesting. However, as you know, when you uh, perform a fees, where do you go? You go straight through the nose at the post wall, you dip down. You know, the angulation at that point, 
I don't know, is um, uh, not a lot, right? You're bending the scope just a little bit to get um, into the fairings. And then you move it a around a little bit, but the angulation doesn't have to be crazy. So again, something that uh, just to be aware of, but that is another specification of an endoscope that you would find uh, when comparing them. Let me let me just ask you there, Christoph. Yes. I, there's, I can't remember, and I won't name the company, obviously, but you talk about the angulation of the scope. And, you know, to me, that's a perk that I can look around and move it and, you know, get all these different views. But I remember this one company was like, well, you really shouldn't move it like that because it could damage the spindles inside the scope. I'm like, well, then why did they make it that way? Like, yeah, they... they <laughs> They shouldn't make it that way. Okay. <laughs> if, okay. if the scope allows you to go all the way, then you should be able to go all the way. Okay. Um, does it put a certain level of stress on, on the mechanics inside a scope? Yes, sure it does. So if you you know, want to want to take your endoscope and just go back and forth a thousand times just for fun, um, why would you do that? You know, that would technically put some wear and tear on the scope. But but other than that, um, no, you can definitely, or you should be able, let's say, to go to the extent that the, the scope is manufactured for. So logical thinking as you do is like, well, if you allow me to do that, why why yeah. shouldn't I be able to do it? Yeah. yeah. Um, so then uh, the other uh, thing that's, of course, very, very important is camera. And camera technology is very, very complicated um, if you get into the nitty gritty, but there's a few things um, that I think is good to have heard and kind of understand what it is. Uh, two of them are focal length and focal point. And the reason really why that has uh, become more and more important in my opinion is that we oftentimes compare distal chip technology with um, fiber optic endoscope technology. And I'll, I'll try to explain that as, as good as I can. Uh, the focal point is the distance from your camera to the sharpest point uh, of your image. The focal length is a certain area in which you have a, an acceptable sharp image. Now, these, these two are related to each other. The larger the focal range length is, if you expand that range so that you're uh, able to move in that range and have it have an acceptable sharp image the less sharp your focal point so the sharpest point becomes so what that means for for the equipment for example if you're looking at at a distal chip endoscope uh, for the most part um, the ones that that are commonly looked at uh, for slps they would have a large enough focal range so that you can move the scope and still have an uh, acceptable sharp image. Uh, because if you, if you made that too narrow, it would be too hard to get, get a sharp image. Um, if you have a fine focus, however, like you do on, on fiber optic endoscopes, you can actually change this focal point and, and actually move that point a little bit. So you have some flexibility in adjusting the image. So for example, if you have a difficult anatomy uh, with a patient and you can't get a good center view of what you're looking at and it's sort of just on the side of the image, you can actually use a fine focus to, um, to focus on that part of the image rather um, than the center. So focal point and focal length, um, uh, at least good to be something that you've heard before uh, when it comes to camera technology. 
then another one that's um, often talked about is camera resolution, right? And the most co common terms are SD or standard definition. Then there is HD or high definition that's usually referred to uh, as uh, 720p, 720 uh, pixels. So that, that's where high definition would start. Then there's full HD, which most of the time would be the 1080p that a lot of people have heard before. And then after that, you go higher and you go to you know, something like 4K or even higher. So um, it's good to, to know those terms, but it's also very important to understand that image quality is not only camera resolution. It's not just all about uh, resolution. And I try to explain it often by saying, you know, imagine the, the 4K camera and now turn the lights off completely. If you have the highest resolution but not enough light, you're not gonna have an image or you're not ha gonna have a good image. So um, resolution, it's interesting, it's important, but uh, um, it's just to understand it's just one component um, uh, of it all. And then, um, you know, sometimes you hear high resolution, um, which is a uh, almost like a marketing term, right? Um, if you say high resolution, that is because it's not high definition, but you want to say high something. So then some people uh, use high resolution. Other than that, um, shutter technology when it comes to cameras uh, is important when thinking about uh, video stroboscopy. So as you know, the, the fees equipment and video stroboscopy equipment have a lot of the same components. That's why we are often talking about both at the same time, right? You use the same computer, the same software, the same scope, the same camera, um, just the light source is different. You have a flash light source or a continuous light. Now, if you start with fees, but you're thinking, well, maybe in a year or in, in two years, I want to be able to add that strobe component easily, then it's important to look at what kind of shutter technology do you have from the get-go. So most uh, common ones are rolling shutter and global shutter. The difference is that a rolling shutter opens from north to south, right? So um, that, that's how the shutter opens and closes. And a global shutter opens um, the entire image at the same time. So that's the camera shutter opening to let light inside. If you have a rolling shutter and you pair it with a flashlight like you do with video stroboscopy, what you will have is horizontal lines on your image, which you, know, you wanna avoid when you do video stroboscopy. When you have a global shutter, you don't run into that issue. So specifically for video strobe, the global shutter is what you should go for. So if you, even though you're buying fees equipment today, if you're thinking, well, I do want to add stroboscopy maybe in a year, maybe in two years, you know, talk to the, the representative of the company about that and see, you know, does this camera have global shutter so that I'm already set for that? Because otherwise, once I do want video strobe, I might be looking at replacing this camera after a couple of years already with a new camera. And then the last thing about the, um, the camera that is um, important or the term to know is uh, exposure. Exposure or exposure time is the amount of time that the camera lets uh, light inside to the sensor. That is, is very important when it comes to how bright the image is. Um, so um, you have a light source that actually gives you the light, but the camera and its exposure is the other part 
that is very important. And then you might want to look at things like auto exposure versus manual exposure. So there's uh, there's some you know SLP teachers that that really say the the manual exposure is the way to go. The the one difference that you have with that is that after the whiteout that fraction of a second with that when you when you can see the epiglottis come back up with an with a automatic exposure of a camera it will have to regulate um so you see like a dark flicker for for a fraction of a second so sometimes you can miss you know the epiglottis or you you're maybe waiting an extra few frames until you see trachea and looking for for aspiration or whatnot so uh yeah that's why exposure uh, can be important. And then as far as terminology is concerned, just the, the last thing that I, that I do like to point out, when it comes to distal chip and fiber optic technology, what's, what's the difference, right? Distal chip means at the distal end of the endoscope, there's a camera chip inside. That's, let's say, the definition of a distal chip uh, endoscope. A fiber optic endoscope has fiber optic strings running through, so the, the highest class, uh, around 18,000 fibers, and then it has an eyepiece and you d attach a camera to that. The big difference is one is an electrical device in itself and the, the other one is an analog device, the analog endoscope that you then attach a camera to. It is um, also true though, for most distal chip endoscopes, they still have fiber optics inside because you still need to get the light in, uh, into the orifices, right? So um, that is mostly done with fiber optics. So when you're thinking uh, about how fragile um, equipment is, for example, the fact that it's distal chip doesn't mean that you can kink it all the way. You would still be breaking fibers for the light. So you have to be just as careful um, uh, with that. And again, when it comes to image quality, because I think sometimes people think automatically distal chip means better technology or better image quality, it's not really as easy as that, right? Because again, there's different components that take uh, that are important for image quality, uh, not just um, resolution, but light, color, and, and many other things. So that's, uh, I guess, what's, what's important to keep in mind with, uh, yeah, that, that terminology. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's obviously such a hot topic in fees. It's like, oh, but that's the distal chip. Ooh, but that's the fiber optic one. So thank you for clarifying all that. Mm -hmm. I like to think there's way more important things when purchasing a system, but some people like to get down to the nitty gritty. So Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. And it's, it's important to just spend some time and, and understanding uh, what you're looking at as much as possible. But yeah, you you definitely you know, want to look at the big picture uh, of it all together. Okay. And another thing uh, that, that I think uh, a lot of people are probably not aware of is sort of the landscape of, of endoscopes and where do they come from and who, who make them? Uh, because I, I mean, I, you know, I, I love this stuff. I am very interested in technology and where it comes from and all of that. But I think it's uh, actually useful to understand, you know, where are these endoscope companies usually that, uh, that we're looking at? Because ultimately, you know, if you if you look at fees equipment um, and you you know maybe ask in a forum, hey, what do you have, or you Google it or whatever uh, you might be doing, you're probably gonna gonna approach, you know, maybe five to seven companies max. Interesting uh, enough, 
I would say 90% of the people uh, in, in, the, in the US that are looking at endoscopes are gonna be looking at endoscopes from three countries. That is uh, Japan, um, uh, where Olympus is from, and, and um, they're very well known for, for uh, endoscopic technology there. The US, certainly, companies like uh, K-Pentax, and then uh, Germany is a, is a pretty big hub for um, endoscopic technology, um, companies like Schwartz um, and, and the, the PADCOM endoscope is uh, manufactured in, in Germany. Interesting enough, it's in a, in a very small area in the Southwest, so you can almost walk from uh, one manufacturer uh, to the next. Other than this just being interesting, it is good to know uh, because whatever is going on in, in, in these countries and territories and whatever might actually have a little bit of an impact uh, uh, for us in North America. Uh, to give you an example, um, in the European Union, um, uh, currently, uh, when it comes to medical devices specifically, everything is going from um, something called MDD, the Medical Device Directive, to MDR, the Medical Device Regulation. The goal is to have it be all the same for the entire European Union. So it's a it's a great plan. Um, at the same time, a lot of medical device companies are challenged by that because you essentially have to do the entire regulatory process for each of your products again. So for the for the very large companies, no problem. They they'll just do it. For the medium-sized companies, and specifically for electrical devices. There are some challenges and, and you are basically faced with a question, do I w want to go through regulatory work for this product that might have been on the market already for, I don't know, five to 10 years or something, or is it not worth it? it um, and, and if it's not worth it, that means we're not going to continue this product and that can have an impact on the United States because if the, the company then decides they're, they're not gonna, gonna make this product anymore, then, then it will essentially um, disappear, so. Why might it, Christoph, why might it not be worth it for some companies to go through it? Um, yeah, great question. So these regulatory approvals of medical devices are extremely lengthy and extremely expensive. Not just the fees that you pay to the regulatory bodies, but the amount of work put in. Right, it's it's many people working for for many many hours in these quality control departments and and figuring all of this out and and submitting the documents and then you um, you know there's audits to be have multiple audits right and um, so it's a it's a pretty big machine there that's that's going on and and so if you want to invest you know a hundred thousand dollars to to do this regulatory process for one product then you have to ask yourself how many products will we sell of this to make that worth the investment right and and this is where potentially uh, companies would decide to to not go for it awesome thank you yeah so I guess that that's um, about that landscape. And then the next thing that I thought I, I wanted to, to mention is, you know, when you start to look at fees equipment and you want to purchase fees equipment is uh, setting expectations, like setting your own expectations. And then there, there are these two principles that I really like. They actually come from economics, minimum principle and maximum principle, and to understand how they work. The, the minimum principle uh, says that a defined output should be generated with the minimum possible input. 
So I was thinking um, of an analogy that makes it very clear. And you're in Florida, so let's say oranges. You have an orange and you want orange juice. And to get that out, you want to squeeze the orange, okay? So if the defined out, if you define an output, you could say, I want to get 100 cc of orange juice out of my orange, and I want to apply as little pressure as possible, okay? So that's your goal. So you want to apply as little pressure as possible until you have 100 cc. The maximum principle um, says that a defined input should generate the maximum amount of output. So I can say, I'm going to squeeze with a certain pressure and I, I want as much juice out of the orange as possible. Okay, so what doesn't work is I want both. I want the maximum amount of juice with the minimum pressure. It, it's basically impossible, right? So, so that's the uh, uh, min-max principle, which basically is impossible and that's important to understand i think because with certain things you just can't have it all you can't have the maximum output but only put in the minimum uh, uh input so you know if you for example uh, look at and say i want the brightest light that i can have the brightest light by definition for endosco uh, endoscopy equipment would be a xenon light Right, so that will give me the brightest light. At the same time, you're gonna say, well, and I also want a super portable system. So it ha has to weigh no more than you know, 15 pounds. So th this is where you're gonna run into a situation that's just not possible. A xenon light is the brightest light and it gets very hot. And because it gets very hot, it needs a pretty large fan and therefore it's gonna come in a pretty big box, okay? so. Now it, it will not be possible to also have the lightest weight system, right? You, you'll have that a lot where you ultimately have to decide a little bit what is most important, right? So think of uh, mobile fees providers, for example. I think that most would rule out very large systems that only come on a rolling card. But if mobile fees provider and wanna buy equipment would say, you know, I want to have the highest definition um, distal chip scope available in the market. And they come from only two companies and they only come on these big cards. You would, you know, maybe have to build a van and roll, roll um, that thing out of your van uh, maybe to make it work. And uh, that's not going to happen, right? So um, in, in that sense, yeah, you have to look at the big picture and understand what is your setting and what are what are your goals. Yeah, what do you, what do you want to achieve? Okay. So then the other thing I I thought was uh, worth talking about is the importance of software when it comes to fees. And it's very interesting when I compare working with someone who's buying equipment for the first time and someone buying equipment for a second or third time, five, 10, 15 years later, the questions uh, and the focus is very different. Mm -hmm. And one of the big differences is someone after five years will be very, very interested in your software. Yeah. They wanna know it all. They wanna know every single detail about the software and rightfully so. Because if you think about it, the, the majority of time you actually spend with your fees equipment is in the software. It's not holding the scope, it's actually you know, doing your review, using the software, 
and and all of these capacities. You know, someone who is going through the early uh, process and goes to a basic fees course, and these courses are fantastic, and you know, there's there's many uh, great providers of these these courses. One of the things all these courses have in common is um, you don't really get to see much about the software component. And that's fair because the, the, that's not the goal of the course, right? It's a clinical education uh, course. Yes, there is the motor skill part of holding the scope and doing all of that. But other than that, it's more clinical um, and that's good. But that also usually means that um, people haven't really experienced um, so the software component much at that time. And so when it comes to, to fee software and just looking over people's shoulders over the years using software and whatnot, I think it's, it's worth looking into it and a, having a checklist of all the things that you want. So you want video and audio recording, right? I, um, the audio recording so that you can actually hear your own uh, announcement of trials. I really think you can save a lot of time because, you know, if you look at it, 15 minutes of green food and liquid and everything, I mean, how do you know exactly which swallow trial this was, right? So the, the announcements are really good. And then if you um, can fast forward with, uh, with audio, I like the fact that you can still hear coughs and things like that to, to get through your video a little bit faster. And then the, the slow motion, both directions, fast forward, fast backward, and um, frame by frame review. Right, so, so all of that, very, very important. I think a big difference that we have to realize when it comes to speech pathologists using software is that the video review is part of your exam. And this is actually very different from many disciplines. So think of a surgeon in the OR, you know, has a video system and yeah, he wants to take a, a few still images and maybe a video but he or she doesn't want to take those because they need to. It's not part of what they do. They just want it for other purposes. In ENT doing a laryngoscopy, maybe they like the video. Maybe they'll take still images, but they don't have to. They can still bill for a laryngoscopy without a video. But, you know, for SLPs, the video is part of um, the exam, the fees exam. So, so this is where it is so different. And I, I actually think that the the requirements for, for SLPs when it comes to, to the software specifically are the most demanding that I've seen anywhere with, with endoscopy. And that's, that's good, right? That's, and that's important um, uh, to know. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because I, that's kind of just one of the things that drives me bananas about other companies that are you know, trying to sell these endoscopes to us. And, and I know there's one company that doesn't even have a recording feature. And to me, that's useless. Like we cannot legally bill for the procedure if we're not recording it to begin with. Secondly, I don't know how you're going to get a good idea and be able to write a good comprehensive report without that information. The other thing is I know there's there's another software company that it cuts the cuts the video off at 10 minutes. So if you have a study where you know, it's very common to go over 10 minutes, 12, 15, 18 minutes. And then a lot of times SLPs like to use endoscopes for biofeedback as well. And after 10 minutes, you're screwed. And I, you know, it's, it's interesting because it's like, well, you know, whose fault is that? Did they not take SLPs considerations when producing this software? But then it's like, we constantly complain about it. So they've got to do something to fix it, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. So I think what you can do if you're early 
in the game and and looking at it, you know, for sure, talk to the representative of the of the company about um, the features and try to, you know, take a look and really, you know, have them demonstrate how it works on, on a video, right? That's the one thing. The other thing, and and that goes for for many many aspects of buying the fees equipment. When you go and you get feedback from other SLPs, which is very, very important and very valuable, I would always recommend be specific and ask specific questions. Right? So I think sometimes in, in forums, uh, you would have questions like, hey, what do you, what do you all do, use for fees? Right? And you know, it's like, oh, I use this and I love it and I use that and, and it's great and this is uh, uh, good or maybe someone says, oh, this I don't like so much, whatever the case may be. If you ask a very broad question, you get pretty broad answers. And initially, to understand which companies you should look at, that's fair. But at some point, you know, ask specific questions and maybe find people and ask the company for you know, reference list or whatnot. Ask uh, people that, that have worked with equipment for uh, some time and ask them specific questions. So can you walk me through the workflow of of how you use this equipment and is it easy to do the the frame by frame review and and the slow motion and all of that to to really get specific feedback what someone would like and uh, or not like uh, about a specific system okay uh oh yeah the sorry the last thing that i think is very important of course is taking the still images from your video so that's another component that you want to look at, you know, how does that work? Um, is it an integrated process very easy? Is it that you're using like a Word document and copying and pasting images and just kind of get a feel for it, what, what works well for you. But one way or another, you want to make sure that you can take still images and then hopefully have a fees dedicated report that you can insert them into. Okay, so um, then I also wanted to talk to uh, everyone about the level of service and what to kind of expect from a company. I think the first thing that you can ask yourself and should ask yourself is, well, what is important to me, right? You have different companies, different sizes, and they can probably offer different things. So, so one of the things that someone might hope for is, I want to have a representative very close by. Right? So if that is something that, that you value, you will, in most cases, look at um, you know, larger companies with um, salespeople across the country. The thing that you need to realize with larger companies and why they have so many salespeople, the reason is usually not because they sell to uh, speech pathologists all the time. That is usually because they they sell similar type of equipment to you know maybe ENT maybe neuro maybe other disciplines so they they go to many different disciplines and and uh, work with them and sell them equipment. The more you do in the medical field of of different disciplines and all of that, the least you have a focus on what exactly your your one discipline does, right? And I do believe that uh, speech pathology is typically not um, the one discipline at the top of the list, usually when buying equipment. I mean, for, for many, many years, it wasn't even typical for speech departments to buy equipment at all, right? So, so for a company to equip um, in an entire ENT office, you know, you might be looking at equipment of uh, multiple systems and then 
500,000 to a million dollars or whatever the case may be, whereas a speech pathology department might be looking uh, to buy a system for $20,000. So the attention that you can uh, get from you know, representatives that also need to deal with all these other disciplines uh, might not always be the one that, that you're hoping for and, and their in-depth knowledge of your application of fees might not be the same uh, that you have when you work with a very uh, small or, or smaller company that is very dedicated to what you do, right? So application specialists. So you might not have someone at your doorstep at all times, but when you talk to someone for support, and it goes back to what uh, we talked about earlier, right? They understand your language, they know your workflow, and they know what's important uh, to you. And this way are hopefully able to support you very well, even if it is from a distance. So then uh, the other thing about service and my personal opinion, the most important part of great service is response time and communication, right? This is what you really want, want to make sure of. And again, when you, you know, talk to other SLPs that have experience working with, um, with the different companies, you know, ask specific questions, how, how it's been and, and um, how the response time is. I can, you know, speak for, for myself and uh, my team that we always try to be less than 24 hours. And our average response time is absolutely less than 24 hours. We're usually pretty quick. And you know, I value that very, very highly because the most important thing when you run into issues is that you can go to someone and get a response and know it's like, okay, someone is looking into this for me and working on things. And then the communication throughout the process. So you, you had your uh, own experience, I'm sure, with, with different companies and all of that. But to me, that's the, that's the most important part about service. And then the, as far as expectations are concerned, what do you expect from a company? I think it's uh, pretty common that, uh, for example, you were, would be hoping for a free loaner if um, your equipment ever needed repair, right? This is a fairly common standard. And then you know, something that you, that you want to talk to the representatives about. What I, what I do want to mention as far as service is concerned is I would recommend not always to expect that everything has to be for free. Just because if you think about it and you say, well, you know, I want the loaner free, but I also want all the shipping uh, to be free and um, whatever else. If you do that and you look that if everyone gets that, that actually makes uh, the operations of a, of a business much more expensive, right? And if that is the case, that ultimately uh, will increase pricing for your actual equipment. So, you know, uh, again, some things um, I think are, are good to be free um, and, and, you know, software updates uh, is a good example where I know it's very different when you talk to different companies. Some get you all the updates to, to keep your system running, uh, without limitations, and that's what I strongly believe is the best way. And then I I know of other examples where that isn't the case, and you run into issues, and then you have to have face a paid update of a of a software to keep working. But then uh, other areas, maybe it's okay to you know have have a a smaller charge for for some services. So that's my two cents about service. Yes, yes, thank you. I think that's such a good point too about how it 
yeah, of course it makes operations much more expensive. Um, you know, I wish people would consider those things, but they don't, but that, that, that is just a very good point that if all that stuff were to be included, then the price would have to be higher from the get go. So, you know, just, just all things to consider. And I think what I love about this conversation is there's so many, you just, I always say, you don't know what you don't know till you know, you didn't know it. Right. So I think this is all just so important for people to think of. So do they want to pay a lot more money up front and just have service and things like that covered? Or do they want a lower upfront cost knowing that these other things have to come out of pocket and there's no right or wrong answer. It's just being aware of, you know, what you're comfortable with at the time. Exactly. Absolutely. So the, the last thing that, um, you know, I've prepared uh, to talk about, and um, I believe that it will be made available even as a, as a download tool uh, to everyone listening, is called the Weighted Average Decision Matrix. So uh, this is not invented by me or Patcom. It's a, it's a common matrix. The idea is that in that matrix, you have your options, so your different companies uh, that you're looking at, and then you have criteria where you basically give a score for each criteria to these companies. And we've uh, uh, broken this down further and actually have it's up to 15 main criteria. So we're looking at things like price, payment options, image quality, endoscope quality, uh, camera quality, light source, computer, uh, service, software, all of these components, those are uh, the main criteria. And then you can break down every main criteria into sub-criterias. Um, so if you're looking at the price, for example, how much is the system price, the upfront cost? How much is an endoscope replacement going to cost me if that ever uh, were to happen? What about repair cost? And, you know, you can ask a representative a common repair cost for endoscopes. What, what is maintenance, shipping costs, cost of ownership, things like that as sub-criteria? Because the more you break down, uh, down these criterias and then looking at these vendors and just giving you judgment and evaluating these sub-criterias and you put that into this matrix, it will then in the end actually tell you based on your evaluation of the sub-criteria and everything, what is my best options based on what I put into the system? Because if you, if you just look at the different companies and you talk to them, you'll maybe find like, oh, I like this about that company. You know, I love their image quality. I love the portability of the, of the next company. And I like the guy that uh, will be doing service with me from company uh, C. So, well, how important is what to you, right? So, that's why with this matrix, the first thing that you do is you give a weight to every main criteria, okay? So uh, in our example, you have 100 points and you distribute them among the main criteria. So I start with price. How important is price to me? Well, most of the time, it's pretty important. In fact, these kind of matrices are used in, in uh, public tenders, which is how... Um, public hospitals um, uh, sometimes purchase medical equipment. And oftentimes, price is 50%, and then the other 50% is technical. So usually you would uh, put a fairly high um, weight on price because ultimately it matters, right? So um, you could 
you know, if you put 50%, for example, you would give 50 points to price. Uh, and then you go through it. You say payment options. Well, I'm pretty flexible. You know, I can pay right away in credit card or and I don't care to get net 30 or whatever the case may be. And uh, so I'm going to put a low weight on this. And this way you go through all the main criteria. Then you let it go for a day or two. Okay. And then you come back to it and then you look at the sub criteria. So, okay, price. So the system price for so my upfront cost, how important is that versus the replacement costs? And then you, you take 10 points and you divide them through uh, these sub-criterias. Okay, so you do that for, for all these criterias. Then you let it go again. Uh, next day, day after, you're going to start talking to companies, right? You can ask them specific questions based on that. It's like, okay, you know the price, but also you'll ask them about technology. Maybe you do the demo, you know, uh, learn about their, their software, their service, and all of this. And then you sit down and you break it apart and you look at every sub criteria by itself. Um, and I pick one randomly here, brightness, right? So I'm only gonna think about brightness. How was company A for brightness? How was company B for brightness? How was company C? And now I'm gonna uh, give them a, um, a grade basically or points between one and 10. I said, you get 10 points for brightness. Now what's gonna happen is that 10 points for brightness gets multiplied with the weight of the sub-criteria, which again gets multiplied with the weight of the main criteria. Okay, and this way you have a little algorithm that puts weight based on what you decided the weights to be and the scoring that you give um, all of these different options. And then you get a very uh, informed picture and you can make a decision uh, in a very informed way because on the, on the result dashboard that we have in this specific tool, it will show you the total score, you know, who got the most based on your input. And uh, then you, it breaks it down by, uh, by the criteria, the main criteria as well. So who has the best price, you know, who has the best payment options and all of that. This requires some time, right? It's not uh, you saving a lot of time. You're gonna spend a few hours using this, but not all in one uh, sitting. You do that over the course of time as you're talking to these companies anyways, and you would otherwise have a, have a list of your own and you type in the responses and you take notes. And in this case, you're just gonna do it in this tool. And then, um, you know, you get a, a very nice picture of, based on what you think is important, actually your best option is. And then, it, Something like this is also, I think, very valuable when you go to your administration. You know, you go to them and, and say, look, I looked at all these different options and this is our best option. That becomes a very important when you're faced with, again, a larger network. What happens sometimes, a larger hospital will have, sometimes it's called preferred vendors. So it's companies that sell this type of equipment and they're already listed uh, with this um, hospital. So it's very easy for them to purchase uh, from that company. Well, maybe none of those companies has the things that you want for fees, right? Because yes, they have um, small nasopharyngoscopes, but maybe they don't have audio recording or maybe they don't have a frame by frame or whatever it is that you think is very important. And if you can show the administration that you really put work and thought into this and you can illustrate why another company that is maybe not listed as a preferred vendor yet, 
um, is more important um, or is, is the better option for you, then I think, again, doing it that way can really help. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. How, how can people access this? Did you give us a link for it or is it in here? Yes. So, so I, um, I gave you the link for it, okay, perfect. Um, yep. which that's hosted on, on the PADCOM website. Alternatively, I also sent the actual file. Uh, as so, so if you want to make it available on your platform, that, that works out okay. well. Yep. We'll just, we'll attach it in the show notes also. Yeah. So, and, um, we, or I do plan to, to actually do a webinar at some point about this, where we were going to sit down and actually fill this out. Uh, where where people can you know kind of watch how how it's being done. Awesome, I love it. Thank you so much, Christoph. This was super helpful. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that was fun. Good. All right. Do you have any any final thoughts for the people? Um, final thoughts for the people. I I think if you decided uh, to start a fees program uh, um, or start a mobile fees uh, company, I think you're already doing a great thing. Great service uh, to so many patients. I, you know, not being a clinician, I can tell you. When my parents will need it, I will make sure that they will get instrumental assessments. They're not going to be the ones only getting a bedside, right? Same for myself. If I think I'm a patient, I want to have that. So anyone who's fighting that fight, and I know sometimes it can be tiring, I think uh, you're doing a great thing, great service to to so many patients. And, uh, you know, don't give up. And, you know, use the representative of, uh, of the company that you're working with because they might have knowledge that is uh, useful to you. And uh, at least for, for me speaking for myself, I can uh, say that I, you know, love getting the questions and love supporting uh, throughout the entire process. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much, Yes, that was cool. To download the show notes from this episode, please visit SwallowYourPridePodcast.com. There you can also sign up for our email so that you'll never miss another episode. If you like what you hear, then please subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, and share it on social media with your friends and colleagues, because that is what keeps these episodes coming. If you'd like to be a guest, share feedback, or request a topic to be discussed on the show, please email podcast at TeresaRichard.com. Special credit to Danny V. Socrates for her amazing audio and editing skills and to Marissa Hendrickson for managing all the things behind the scenes. As always, thanks so much for listening and see you next week.